All right, grab those Bibles. Daniel chapter 4. If you hit the New Testament, you've gone too far. Just after Ezekiel. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you this morning. We want to gift you with God's Word. There is no greater gift than the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. When you get to Daniel chapter 4, say, How we rejoice. All right, upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and because we are thankful for God's word, you can respond with thanks be to God. You're going to want to follow along this morning because we are going to read chapter 4 in its entirety, and it is 37 verses. So get settled in and open your ears and your hearts for the reading of God's word this morning. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Say amen to that. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. And at last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the entire earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amidst the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers and the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies." 
The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth." And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field." You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws." At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Verse 36. At the, time, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad again. And if you're upset that we just read a lot of the Bible, you can take that up with God, I guess. That'll be an okay complaint that we'll have today. So, um, hey, we're in the series through the book of Daniel, but really quickly, I wanted to um, shorten uh, my sermon today. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. But um, just wanted to take some time and sort of create some space to celebrate what sort of happened last week on Easter. And, um, it, you know, if you're just now hearing about this, it was a monumental time for us at Westside as we held Easter at the Coliseum and we had prayed and we had prayed and just really felt leading to go do provide a community event for that. 
And um, according to the staff there at the Coliseum, we had somewhere upwards of 1,300 people there at our gathering um, at the Coliseum last Easter. Um, and so, which is, can we just kind of get excited about that? Is that okay? Yeah. It was a lot of fun, and um, it was just a really incredible time to, to celebrate and do something like that, if you know sort of the story of us here at the church. But what was really more important for me, there's a verse tucked away in the book of 1 John, and it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And in Romans 13, it says to give honor to whom honor is due. And if you were at the event, you saw the amount of people wearing black t-shirts, and those were our volunteers. And we had um, upwards of almost 100 plus people that volunteered and made that happen. And one of the things I want to do is I want to read a list of these names. Um, In the scriptures, we have these genealogies and we have names recorded. And so I am going to take time to read every single name to obey the scriptures and to give honor to whom honor is due. And at the end, after I read these names, if I have read your name, would you please stand at the end uh, just in honor of recognition to that? Rachel Aiden, Aaron Aiden, Brittany Anthony, Megan Bader, Christy Barker, Jim Barker, Tara Barnes, Nick Barnes, Stacy Barker, Aaron Barrett, Sam Barrett, Nick Bates, Kayla Bates, Bailey Beard, Claudia Bennett, Donna Bree, Amy Blackburn, Chuck Blackburn, Matt Blackburn, Cindy Blackburn, Mariah Boving, Cindy Bosch, Kristen Brooks, Clayton Brooks. Jess Bullock, Jared Bullock, Susan Carroll, Lori Coleman, Josh Conover, Andrea Cooper, Garrett Cooper, Selena Cooper, Lauren Croy, Gary Croy, Angie Croy, Stephanie Doomey, Kurt Doomey, Michelle Etterish-Sherrill, Amy Etheridge, Abby Ferguson, Tracy Ferguson, Zach Ferguson, Stu Finnerty, Terry Finnerty, Tristan Francisco, Carrie Garrapi, John Garrapi, Josh Gill, John Goodwin, Mitch Granier, Alona Haley, Cheryl Hanner, Abby Hanner, Rodney Hanner, Joey Hessling, Sarah Holt, Jonathan Johnson, Courtney Jordan, I like her a lot, Jason Jordan, <laughs> David Ladyman, Jerry McConnell, Aaron McGuire, Cassie Miller, Megan Miller, Brandon Miller, Josh Miller, Frankie Moe, Cohen Mormon, Jeff Moore, Kim Moore, Mackenzie Moore, Jamie Morse, Josh Morse, Cooper Mauser, Jolie Mauser, Nikki Mauser, Rick Mauser, Lance Mullins, Rachel Neely, Phil Neely, Ashley Newman, Daniel Newman, Susan Owens, Nancy, Nancy Perkins, David Perkins, Pam Pollard, Mike Pollard, Samantha Porch, Teddy Porch, Christy Robertson, Mark Sanders, Kayla Saxton, Tyler Saxton, David Shrimp, Ella Skillman, Jenna Skillman, Wade Smith, Jennifer Smith, Kelly Stark, Haley Sutton, Mackenzie Taylor, Sandy Taylor, Tabitha Thomas, Ryan Thomas, Alan Thomas, Bethany Tibbs, Mark Tibbs, Peggy Turner, Jim Ward, Dina Ward, Savannah Wetzel, Gina Wetzel, Brian Wells, Jennifer Wells, Frida Wilkerson, Lindsay Williams, Parker Williams, Gus Winkler, Erica Winkler, Roy Winters, Belinda Winters, Casey Wright, Allie Wright, and Christy. Young, and if I didn't read your name, it's just because you jumped in and volunteered at the last minute. If I read your name, could you please stand up right where you're at right now, please? Could you give these people a round of applause? Thank you guys very much. Thank you very much. 
We wanted to do that because there's no way that that event could happen. That many people could, could gather in. We had four people respond on an information card that they made a decision for Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? That's pretty incredible. And for those of you who I read your names, and if I didn't, you got missed in the shuffle. You know who you are. Thank you so much. There was a moment when the disciples did something pretty cool, and they came back. And they were telling Jesus everything that they had done. And Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And that's the ultimate prize, really, at the end of the day. Um, For some reason, God is choosing to use us at Westside to do something pretty phenomenal. And I say this all the time. I'm sort of like a turtle on a fence post. I don't know how I got here, but I love the view. You know what I mean? And we're just all along for the ride. And and there will be a time where God's going to use another church in a mighty way, and we're going to praise God for them. And so we're just on this ride and on this journey right now. And so thank you for being a part of that event and just the ripple effect that's happening. And by no surprise and by no accident or happenstance, in the chapter today, Daniel chapter 4, the main theme and the main idea is pride. And I just don't think that we could have planned it any better way, really. And we see in the book of Daniel, God is using Daniel to teach us how to live in exile. How can someone who loves God live in a culture that hates God? And in Daniel chapter 4, he is teaching the people of Israel the lesson of pride and humility. And I think it's very timely for us at Westside to understand that everything that is taking place is only by God's grace, not because we're awesome or not because of anything that we have done or not just because we're good, we're great, and we've obeyed all the rules, so God is in debt to us to do something, but rather that it's by his sheer grace. And we see King Nebuchadnezzar get humbled in this passage. And really when we understand pride, you got to work and understand what it is because it's masked in a lot of ways in our society. So our society says that what we have is um, we have a self-esteem problem. And so we need to tell everyone that there are special little snowflakes sprinkled in fairy dust. And what we need to do is reward everyone and do this and do that. And we need to build self-esteem. And if you look at any study, it's true. Self-esteem in schools is the highest it's ever been. And the test scores are as low as they've ever been. Why? Because now we have people who think that they are entitled to something. Because since they've been walking, everyone has said, you are awesome. And you are owed everything in the world. And you are demanded something. And there's really two forms of pride. Pride actually in the Bible, the word means to be high, to be puffed up. That's pride. But there's also another form of pride that's sort of a little bit camouflage, and that's self-pity. And we would never think that. You know, it's the victim mindset. Oh, it's just happened to me in my life again, and I've just been dealt these cards, and my life's been tough, and no one's ever given anything to me. Around here at Westside, we call those people Eeyore, right? (laughs) How are you doing today? Well, I don't know today. Wah, 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 right? People use that to not get involved in church, right? I grew up and the church, hurt me. I had a family member in church, and then they, they lied, and so I'm so disillusioned, and so I'm not, right? You're prideful. You're prideful. 
And pride hides itself in self-pity. So what's the definition of pride? And this is a little bit outlandish, but it is what it is. Pride is the obsession to have God's position. Just jelly on the bottom shelf for you. Pride is the obsession to have God's position. Because when you are prideful, the world revolves around you. And if there is anything in the scriptures that God speaks to, it is pride. Listen to this. Proverbs 15.25 The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Proverbs 16.15 Everyone who is arrogant in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Right? I'm going to put that on a Christian t-shirt, right? It'll be a bestseller. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. You know what that means? The word opposes comes from the word opposite. So God opposites himself the proud. So if you are a prideful person, you are in a cosmic arm wrestling match with God. God opposites himself, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But look at your Bible. The key in the passage today is found in verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar says it from his own lips. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And here it is. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He is able to humble. A lot of other places in the scripture, it literally says in the book of Revelation, Jesus looks at a church and he says, you are prideful and you make me vomit. Why? Why is this so offensive to God? Because looking from God's point of view, the creator of the cosmos, he looks at his creation and he sees these broken sinners who think that literally the entire world can revolve around them. And he sees these little rebellious creatures shaking their fist at an all-powerful God saying, we are more powerful than you. It's almost laughable, but it's also an abomination And as I thought and I meditated on the passage, one of the things that I could not get away from in Daniel chapter 4 is this. God doesn't just humble Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he kicks the props out from under this guy and makes him like a beast in the field where he literally eats grass and all types of stuff. But what I couldn't get away from is that he pursues him. Do you see that in the passage? It's the whole point of the dream. How gracious is our God? That he would literally chase his rebellious, prideful creatures that have rebelled against him. So here's the big idea today. God will pursue you and purify you of your pride. It will happen. God will pursue you and he will purify you of your pride. And what we see in the passage is two things. We see a picture of pride and then the healing of humility. And so the first thing that we see is a picture of pride. And there's a number of things that we have. The first thing that we see is pride hides itself in false praise. This is really scary. Look at the first part of the passage. Verse 2. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God had done for 
For who? For me, yeah, it's still there at the center, right? Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, you've got to understand where we're at in the story. What just happened? It was the fiery furnace, right? And so, like, God flexed on Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? The veggie tales got it wrong. we got to call them by their Jewish names, right? Right? Not by their slave names, by their Jewish names. And so God does this phenomenal thing for them, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, duh, that's incredible. Man, Daniel, your God is the best God. He's incredible. And then we see that he's going to give praise, but he does it because of verse 2. That he's done all of these awesome things for me. Here's how scary pride can be. This is how scary it is. That you could come in here today. That you could raise your hands. And you could say, for he has rescued us. Out of darkness. And he's brought us into the light. And it still be all about you. And you go, yeah, God's done this for me. This is incredible. Like God almost becomes an accessory to your life rather than a necessity to your life. And listen, this is how dangerous pride can be is that it hides itself in false praise to God because you're singing to God what he has done for you. Question, would you still sing those things if he hadn't done those things for you? Would he still be God if he didn't rescue you from the fiery furnace? Because remember what they said? We won't bow the knee, but if not, our God is still good. Pride hides itself. The second thing is this, pride lies about contentment. Look in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. This is something that's really interesting that we've seen time and time again in this story of Nebuchadnezzar. It's been very hard for me to articulate this. He is the most powerful man in all the world. No other kingdom compares. This dude is ruling and reigning. He has everything that he could ever want, imagine, all of that stuff, ease, I mean, sex, power, money, the whole thing. He's got all of it. But the dude still can't get a good night's sleep. Isn't it profound? And we see this all the time with celebrities and everything like that. And what we do is we go, man, when will those people get it? When will basketball players understand? When will they do all of that? Yet you go home and worry about the job and about the kids and about selling the house and the car and and all of that. And what pride lies to you about is if you add another thing to your list, then you will be happy. But we see that God is pursuing Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride. Pride will always lie to you about contentment. And the third thing is this, pride hardens your heart. Look at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And then verse 29, look at this. This went on for 12 months. At the end of 12 months. So listen, he gets the dream. Like, like follow the timeline. He gets the dream. Daniel tells him, here's what the dream is, bro. You're sitting, you know what my nanny always used to say? You're getting too big for your britches. You ever heard that? You remember that? You're getting a little too big for your britches, bro. That's what Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar. 
You're sitting high on the horse, man. You're too big for your britches. And what's going to happen is God is going to cut this tree down. He's going to level you. And I love what it says in the dream that only a stump is showing. How humbling is that, right? This great, awesome, big, awesome tree now stump. That went on for 12 months. Nebuchadnezzar knew what was coming. He knew what was coming yet did nothing about it for 12 months. And then this is what he says. And he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Verse 30, you looking at your Bible? Don't look at me, look at your Bible. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Can you do me a favor and interact with the sermon and do this? Uh, 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 uh. Vomit all over the place. Man, are you kidding me, bro? Twelve months, he knew the dream, and it never stopped. Listen, here's what frightens me about some of us in the room. Some of you come in week in and week out and you hear the word of the Lord and you respond with thanks be to God and you understand what repentance and what faith is and how serious that literally eternity is on the line and then you walk out of here and apply nothing to your life. In the book of Genesis, it says that the Spirit of God will not always strive with the heart of man. That means this, and there's a mystery and it's very scary, that there will be a time that Romans chapter 1 says that God will turn you over to your desires. Meaning, He will remove His hand. And if you want it, you got it. And we see that that is the leveling of kingdoms, of nations, and of people. And pride continually hardens the heart, day after day after day. And the longer that that goes on, the greater the judgment it will be. Because pride continually builds this house and this majesty all for me. And when God knocks the props out from underneath it, great was the fall of it. Pride hardens the heart and it is very terrifying. And then the last, the next thing is this. Pride takes credit for what God has done. In verse 30, he says, Is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? Now, let's study our Bibles. Go to Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Let me hear your Bible pages turning. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim... King of Judah into his hand, King Nebuchadnezzar's hand, with some of the rest of the vessels of the house of God. And he, God, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So question, who actually gave Nebuchadnezzar the people of Judah? God did. But what is Nebuchadnezzar saying that he did? That he did it. Tim Keller calls this cosmic plagiarism. That's good. You know what plagiarism, right? So whenever I was in college, for the amount of time I was there, then they asked me not to come back for a little bit. But when I was there, our English teacher was sort of like difficult to please. And so there was this urban legend, and he actually told the story the first day of the class. Um, he said, if, if you cheat on a paper, I, I will find out. 
I will find out. And the story was told that, like, years back, that a student wrote a paper. It was really good. It was incredible. Um, put it in the trunk of his car with the rest of the books and stuff, cleaned out the car, sold the car to another student on campus. And then that student found the paper in the trunk of the car that was left over. Same teacher, same class, same college. Turned that same paper in. And there was like a two to three year gap in between there. Turned the paper in, retyped it out, put his name on it, and turned it in to the teacher The teacher called him up in front of the entire class, told him how great of a job it was, how awesome of a paper it was, and how great it was the first time that he read it about three years ago and failed the student. So plagiarism is taking credit for something. It's stealing something. And many of us think that we've actually got where we've gotten in our life because of our hard work. Now, granted, sure, you put in the hours and you've done some things, but I love the Bible because even all the way back, Moses tells the people of Israel when they were getting too big for their britches, they get really financially well off. And Moses tells them, and by the way, God even gave you the ability to make money. So yeah, sure, you hustled a business, great, awesome, ground up, man, you need to go on Shark Tank, here's your cookie and your cake, fascinating, awesome. God gave you that ability. At the end of the day, for everything, God has... Like, can we do this real quick? Everybody just take a big, deep breath for me, real loud. That's a gift. God gave you that. And what plagiarism is, is giving credit to yourself in your life. And Westside, yes, God's doing great things for us here as a church. But let us not get it twisted that it is by the grace and sovereignty of God that these things are happening. That it is not through one person, that it is not through anything, that it's what God has done. And we will be stealing God's credit for what he has done. See, pride can't give credit. It has to take it. And then the last thing that we see is this. Pride makes you an animal. I mean, that's what happens, verse 33, that he literally becomes this beast. And I think what Daniel is showing us is this. Nebuchadnezzar at this point couldn't even relate with humanity. He literally became an animal. And that's what pride makes you. Listen to a prideful person talk sometime. It's phrases like, those people. Those people? I'm sorry, who are you again? You know, you know, they, they live over there. Or, you know, in that part of the country, though, I'm sorry. And, and it makes you an animal. Like, prideful people can't be compassionate people. You don't, a prideful person is not a compassionate person. Why? Because, the, because you don't look upon people as people. You look upon people as problems. And so you can't even relate to humanity. So... C.S. Lewis says this, and this is pretty profound. The essential vice, the utmost evil of all evils is pride, unlovingness, greed, drunkenness. All of those sins are mere fleetable in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every 
other sin. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Listen, the problem in your marriage is not your spouse. It is not this. It is not that. The problem in your marriage is pride. Anytime I talk to a person with an addiction, the problem is not heroin. The problem is not alcohol. The problem is not that. That's the fruit. That's not the root. The root is pride. Pride, Augustine says, is the mother of all sins, for she is pregnant with all the rest. The problem was not adultery. That's the fruit. The problem was pride, that you thought that you were owed something and that your spouse was not giving that to you. So then for the first time in your life, you're going to get what's yours. And I've looked out for everybody else my entire life and it's now a break and I'm going to go off rail here and I'm going to do this. It's pride. Pride is the result. And it's at the center of it all. So how about this? Let's do a pride test together. You want to do that? That'd be fun, right? Everybody get offended and leave here today really up. (laughs) So here's some questions to help diagnose. Because listen, I think this is so serious that God devoted an entire chapter in the book of Daniel to this to show us this. And I think for us living as Western Christians, we are the most dangerous to the line for this pride thing. So um, answer these questions yourself. Now listen, listen. This isn't about Bob. This isn't about, sorry if your name's Bob, I always use that as an example in here, right? Um, This is not your spouse, this is not, this is you. This is you, you need to answer these questions. How about this? Which is easier for you to give, a compliment or a critique? I mean, we're just coming right out the gate, okay, right? When, When you see something, is it easier for you to criticize it or compliment it? And I think that in the day in social media and with Facebook and everything like that, everybody's got an opinion now. And what I find, people who always find the problems are the people who most of the time will never work to find the solution. So is it easier for you to be critical and critique something or to give a compliment? The second thing, do you feel like you're always the exception, right? Like standing in line somewhere, there's always that guy that I would love to lay hands on in the name of Jesus, right? Who somehow is like at the side of the line, and the line is clearly right here. And then they like, or the parking, or merge, right? The merging lane. That means you get over, okay, right? But are, are you always the exception in life? So if, if the time to be there is 5 o'clock, are you leaving your house at 5, and what you're saying on the way there is, uh, it's fine. I mean, it'll be fine. I get there, everybody knows it's just me. I'm just crazy late all the time. Woo, right? Nope, you're prideful. I mean, I'm, this is, we're getting to the core of this, right? Are you always the exception? How about this? Can only certain people influence you? Certain people, right? So, in order for me to get help and to get counseling, what I need to do is I need to see if Oxford or Cambridge has any available counselors for me because clearly nobody in southeast Missouri is capable to my studious knowledge to, right? My grandpa used to say sometimes there's even a diamond in a, in a pigsty. And the way God works oftentimes is he uses the most humble thing in the world, the thing that you would never think that you could ever learn from to teach you about yourself? Can only certain people influence you? How about this? Do you demand recognition? I wrote that one about myself. I'm just going to be honest. 
Because when I do the laundry or the dishwasher at the house, brother, I need a parade up in here, man. And if my wife hasn't found out, I mean, I'll drop hints, right? Right? Oh, do you need a plate? Well, they're all clean. Let me grab one for you. Do you need an article of clothing? Look, they're all folded. Fascinating, right? That's pride. Now, listen, we honored just a moment ago. We honored. We give honor to whom honor is due. But if your motivation in serving is to get recognized, listen, and if you don't get recognized, then you won't serve again, you are a prideful person. Pride demands recognition. Then how about this? Which is easier for you, proving you are right or admitting that you're wrong? That one's tough, right? Let's go to apology school. This is really fun, okay? This is not an apology. Well, I'm sorry that hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm sorry, what, what did you just even say? Right? Well, I'm sorry that that offended you. That's, that's not an apology. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry you. None of those are an apology. Here's an apology. Are you ready? Look up here. Look up here. I'm sorry... I was wrong. Please forgive me. Nothing else. One preacher said, you can either prove a point or you can make a difference, but you can't do both. And how much time is spent on us proving that we're right rather than just simply apologizing? And then this last question. Are you arguing, uh, arguing with this list? Cool, then we've established who you are. Because the whole time, if you were not, not well, this, this, not. Listen, God will pursue you and he will purify you of your pride. Listen, because he loves you too much. He loves you too much. So we see that he's humbled. So now we see the healing of humility. But what is humility? What is it? What is it? What is it? C.S. Lewis has famously said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's good. It's not a downgrading thing. It's not, oh no, I'm the worst. I'm all that's still pride. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. But I think humility is the ability to empty yourself of any prominence. It's to give some, humility costs you something. And did you know all through the scriptures, the command is a direct command to humble yourself. It is not go pray about it. It is not think about it. It is in action. It is humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. So what does it look like? Well, the first thing is this. Humility knows its place. Because you see what happens to Nebuchadnezzar after he gets humbled? And then look in verse 35. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now here it is. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 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 And isn't it interesting what Daniel tells him to do in verse 27? He says, practice righteousness and your iniquities by showing to the oppressed 
that there may perhaps be lengthening of your prosperity. He's telling him to do something. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to get off your high horse and you need to go serve people because humility knows its place. Listen, it's very, like, isn't it interesting? Basically what Daniel's telling him to do is, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, go help people and go serve people who are living on welfare, on your welfare as a king. Because it's very hard to make fun or look down upon someone who lives on welfare when you understand that you live by God's welfare. Is that not what grace is? An unearned gift from an unobligated giver. You see, humility knows its place. Grace never demands anything because it knows its grace. And we see that his attitude completely changes. The second thing is this. Humility sees the gift. Humility knows its place, but humility also sees the gift. And he says, verse 36, at that same time, my reason returned to me and the glory of my kingdom. A lot different than when he was on the king's palace, walking around, sipping his espresso, saying, look at what of all I've done. Now he looks at his life as a gift. And listen, look up here. How different would your life be instead of looking at all of the things you don't have, you thanked God for all the things you do? Try that this week in your prayer time. Just rattle off thankfulness. Health, the kids, the family, the job, the all of that. And pride will crumble. You see, pride knows its place, or humility knows its place. Humility sees the gift. But the last thing is this. Humility bows the knee. He says it. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He is able to humble. So I was watching the Masters yesterday. Um, I love golf. I, I like golf. Sometimes I hate golf, and then I love golf. I like golf when I don't play it, you know, that type of a thing. But um, it's really big deal because Tiger Woods is playing now. He's back in the Masters, and there was all of these, you know, recaps. He's back, he's back, because he had, a couple of years ago, just sort of some drama happen, right? And he was, you know, on drugs and crashed his car and was in an affair, got stripped of all types of stuff. And they interviewed him and they said, Tiger, what does it feel like to be back? To be back at the Masters, man, you're on top. He looks just better than ever. And he said, it's a gift. It's like the first time I've ever been here. It's a gift. It's like the first time I've ever been here. Why? Because he knows what it's like when it's taken away from him. And listen, for some of you, for some of you, that's what it's going to take. God has been and will continue to kick the props out from underneath you. And that's even a sign of God's grace. That's what he had to do in my life, right? We love Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And then he makes me lie down in green pastures. Makes me lie down. So you got two choices. You can lie down or he'll bust your knees and make you lie down. And what we have to understand is even then that's a sign of God's grace in our life. God will pursue you and he will purify you of your pride. I want to close with this as the band comes up. This week I was picking Roman up and it was that time between like 3.45 and sort of 5 o'clock on Westwood here in Popper Bluff. 
where you could possibly be in Manhattan at the same time for a traffic jam. I'm like, it's Popper Bluff. This is not St. Louis. This is unbelievable to me, right? And then the one person's pulling out from KFC and Popeye's trying to get in the other lane. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And so I'm fighting to go all of these places, and somebody pulled out, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm just, man, the world's revolving around me, and I got to get going, and I got to do all of this stuff. And if, you know, our projector was working, I, t- I-, I took a picture, not while I was driving, I was actually at the stoplight when I took the picture, but a tow truck pulled up in front of me, and the way that the tow rig was set up, I thought that that's what he was carrying at first, but it was a cross. I mean, it had a crossbar, vertical and then horizontal, and I just thought, you know, I felt like in Bruce Almighty, God, give me a sign, and like a sign truck pulled out in front of me. And I thought, oh, that's what I get for writing a sermon on pride this week. And I was reminded of Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Christ Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, listen to me. No one stands at Calvary. No one stands at Golgotha. Because as we stand there, we see that God was crucified for us. And we bow the knee. You see, grace humbles us. And the only way that you can humble yourself is to love something more than yourself. So I beseech you today to not focus on your pride. Focus on Christ. And look at Him crucified there. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we know from the truth of your word that you are pursuing us today, right now, in this chapel, 2018, at Westside Church of God in Popper Bluff. And there are those in here today who might need to grab the hand of a spouse and come forward and simply pray and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. God, maybe there's a parent in here today who brings a child forward and who says, listen, mommy and daddy blew it today. We blew it this week and I'm sorry. But I'm reminded today that Jesus died for me. And in light of that, there's no way that I could be humble or prideful. And this humbles me. Convict those who need convicting. And then as we come to your table today, comfort us to know the picture of true humility is found at the elements here at this table. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray all this in the name that is above every name the name in which we will confess the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in communion today?